um, yesterday was my daughter's 12th birthday. And yeah, so I think it would only be appropriate, not right now, but like just at random times to just sing her happy birthday. Like she's, I, she's somewhere else. I, I, I said at some other time. So for the, to celebrate her birthday, we, she wanted to go camping. She wanted to go camping and she was super excited. And I think in her mind, she had this picture of this beautiful mountain uh, experience. Originally, uh, she had invited some friends. Some of them came. Some of them were too scared. That was Tiffany, in case you were wondering. The reality is, is that she had a reason to be scared. Now, I also had these expectations that that camping was going to be, you know, like this time where we, we as a family, we like get closer together and we get to um, enjoy each other's company and sit around the fire and make s'mores and tell stories. And I, I talked Julia into going to camping. Uh, by telling her that we could stay up late and take long exposure pictures. And this is what I imagined that to look like. I don't... <laughs> I, I don't know why this n never works. Perfect. This is what I imagined that picture to look like. You know, you, 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 you go out there when, have you ever been outside in, when, you, when you're camping and seen this, the sky when there isn't light pollution? It's incredible. We didn't see the sky even one time. We did. We did. The 30 minutes that it took us to take all of our stuff down, the sun came out and at least helped us dry our tent a little bit. This is more like the experience that we had. Just go to the next slide. This is more like the experience we had, only wetter and grayer and colder than that. And, you know, it was, it was not... You know, it wasn't just that we went camping and it rained and it was cold. I don't know how many times leading up to us going camping, I told my children, you need to pack warm clothes. You need to pack warm clothes. You need to pack warm clothes. To which two of my children, two of the four, fully 50% of them did not bring socks at all. Zero. One of them did not bring pants. She only brought pajama pants because she was informed that it was going to be cold at night, so she didn't need pants. And so we knew it was time to go home from camping when Alexa had worn everyone else's 
clothes. By the time we left camping, she was wearing Sinai socks, my long john pants on the outside, and all of that was wet because it had not stopped raining the entire time. Um, actually, um, I, they are waterproof. Actually, I'll just return them to Costco. <laughs> so we all have these experiences in our life, whether, whether it's a camping experience that you didn't turn out the way you wanted to. Maybe you uh, wanted to go to an amusement park and then you found out that you get severely motion sick then it's not that that fun. I think that's a weird point in your life to discover that you get motion sickness. Um, you should have discovered that before on the ride there, maybe. Um, the interesting thing is, is that, like, we have these experiences in our lives and and they really shape our perception. They shape the way we view, like, from now on, if I say, let's go camping this weekend, there's going to be a collective groan. Um, the other thing that we, just this is a side note, the other thing that we also realized, again, it's like one of those moments where you realize this, and I know, I know that you realize this at like chunks throughout your life. We're not in our 20s anymore. And sleeping on the floor does not feel the same when you're not in your 20s. So that's just a side note. Um, you, I, I feel significantly older than I should this morning. Um, we've been studying the life of Moses. And Moses... Moses is an interesting character because his life um, starts off in an interesting way. Um, his life starts under threat, and, threat of death. He's rescued, raised in a palace, wanders around in the desert. So he wanders around the, in the desert from the, about the time he is in his 20s until he is about in his 40s um, and he encounters a burning bush that doesn't actually burn. I, and so there God tells him, you're going to go and you're going to speak to the Pharaoh, which incidentally uh, in Moses's mind is the guy who helped raise him. You're going to tell, it ends up not being because that Pharaoh actually dies and there's a new Pharaoh. But, but the reality is, is that you're going to go back and you're going to tell the king of Egypt, the king of Egypt, that you're going to let all of your slaves go. 
that's that's your job. Moses was not incredibly excited about this. Um, his response to that was, um, I will pass. No, thank you. Uh, in fact, not only that, I'm not, I'm not very good at speaking. I stutter. Um, you don't want me. I have a, I have a criminal record. He has th- this long list of why he can't do what God says he's going to do. And then God finally convinces him to say yes. God convinces him to say yes. And his final response is, who do I say to these people that is even sending me? And, and God responds, you'll tell them I am who I am, which seems pretty cryptic. Moses goes back and leads the people out of Egypt after plagues and uh, crazy miracles and all kinds of the signs and wonders that he does. He leads them out of Egypt, brings them into the desert, and he lives his life serving and following and listening and obeying God. Very first uh, one of the things that we learn about Moses is that he has this deep desire to have communion and relationship with God. He wants to know God. Last week, we learned that somewhere along the way, Moses kind of lost his way a little bit, got angry, lost touch of what was actually happening struck the rock, and was told that he wouldn't get to go into the promised land. Now, if, like, I feel like that's pretty bittersweet by itself. But, like, it didn't immediately happen. Like, it, like they, that didn't happen, and then the next chapter they go into the promised land, and Moses, Moses is left behind. Like, years passed, where Moses was forced to continue being obedient, serving God, continue walking in obedience, continue in relationship, continue leading these people. And we get to the end of the book of Deuteronomy. And right right at the end, Moses is preparing for, for death. He's getting his affairs in order. And he has two last messages to the people of Israel before he dies. The, the first one is, is titled in most Bibles as Moses' song. This isn't the first song Moses wrote, um, but this song is, is a song about uh, his experience leading the people. It's a, it gets a little real if you read it, but overall, this song is a declaration of his love for God. And then the next thing that Moses says to the people is he, he blesses the tribes. And th- this is the beginning of that, that blessing. Go to the, this is the blessing that Moses, the man of God, pronounced on the Israelites before his death. He said, The Lord came from Sinai and dawned over them from Seir. 
He shone forth from Mount Paran. He came with myriad of holy ones from the south, from his mountain slope. Surely it is you who love the people and all the holy ones are in your hand. At your feet, they all bow down and from you receive instruction. The law that Moses gave us, the possession of the assembly of Jacob. So he goes from there and then he blesses each of the 12 tribes. He has a specific and direct blessing. And then we get to the very last chapter of the book of Deuteronomy. And and this, I think, might be one of the most interesting and bittersweet stories in the Bible. We have this man who has spent, by, by this point, we'll, we'll learn in just a minute, that Moses is 120 years old. He's 120 years old. That's basically the equivalent of three generations. He, he's lived through uh, the generation where he was in Egypt. He's lived through the generation of the people who grumbled. He's lived for 40 more years. He's lived to this point and he's been obedient. He's followed God. He's pursued God. He's pursued a relationship with God and then it doesn't go the way he expects. He doesn't, like, this whole time, this whole time he had in front of him the idea of a land filled with milk and honey. This land that God had been promising his people since Abraham for generations and generations. God had been promising this land. And then Moses, God asks Moses at 120 years old to climb a mountain. Then Moses climbed Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab to the top of Pishkah across from Jericho. There the Lord showed him the whole land. From Gilead to Dan, all of Nephtali, the territory of Ephraim and Manasseh, and all the land of Judah as far as the Mediterranean Sea, the Negev, and the whole region from the Valley of Jericho, the City of Palms, as far as Zohar. Then the Lord said to him, This is the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. When I said, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you will not cross over into it. Can you imagine living your life that way? Like giving absolutely everything absolutely everything up to God, to follow God, to be obedient to God, and be brought to the very edge, the precipice. God shows you the whole land. And he says to him, you will not cross over into it. 
like I think for a lot of us, when when God originally said to Moses, you can't go. You were disobedient. You did this. You can't go. I think for a lot of us, if we were in that situation, I don't I can't speak for you, but for me, I think my response might have been, I'm out. Then you can have these people. You take them. Let somebody else lead them through the desert for the next several years until they go into the promised land, until they figure it out. I'm done. Like if I don't get to go to the promised land, I don't care. I'm I'm gonna just I'm gonna go back to to Moab or Midianite Midian or Las Vegas for all I care. I'm getting out of here. But that's not what Moses does. That's not his response. And, and it's not his response to, to say, well, you know what? I'm just gonna go. I'm gonna go into the promised land and leave these people behind. You know, Joy talked about on the very first week of this series that like the whole time they wandered in the desert, the promised land was just over there. Like, it's not like it took 40 years to get there. It's that it took them 40 years to get there because they wandered around in circles. Moses, the whole time could have just said, you know what? I'm going to go. You guys, you rabble, you, you, uh, crazy, terrible people who are disobedient, you stay here, I'm going to go. He doesn't do that either. And once again, Moses finds himself on the top of a mountain, alone with God. And it's it's a bittersweet moment. Because in that moment, he realizes that indeed he's not going over into the promised land. But he does realize that, that God is near. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab. As the Lord had said, okay, what does that say? (laughs) And he buried him in Moab. Moses died on the mountain and God buried him. I think it's really interesting I think the really interesting thing is, is that we, if we're not careful, I think, I think that um, we make the things that God promises us the only reason we're here. The only reason we show up. The only reason we're obedient, the only reason why we follow, the only reason why uh, we we give of our time and our energy. If the promise is the only reason you're here, then you will always wander. 
but for Moses, Yahweh, the Lord, God was always the promise. The promised land wasn't the promise for Moses. God was the promise. And I think if you look back at the history of Moses with the people, God wanted that with the people as well. God wanted that with the people as well. God stood them all at the base of the mountain. The original plan was for everyone to go and to receive the law. But the people were afraid. Moses came back from the mountain with his countenance changed. His eyebrows were white. His beard was white. His face was glowing. They made him wear a veil because of how transformed he was by God's presence. And the people made him wear a veil. They were scared of this transformation. The people never wanted God. But Moses did. You see, the reality is, is that I think for a lot of us, we have this transactional faith. We'll obey. We'll follow. We'll do. We'll show up if God gives us this thing. But what happens if we, if we don't get that? What happens in our lives if things don't go the way we planned? What happens when things are more difficult than they should? What happens when you pray and you pray and you pray and you pray and you pray for that loved one and they still never turn around? Do you walk away? Do you say, I'm out? Do you say, I'll just do it on my own? The reality is, is that what God wants from us is relationship. What God offers us is relationship. What God is eager to have with us is relationship. The reality is that there are lots of things in life that don't go the way we plan. And I... As a pastor, I hear this all the time. I hear these kinds of things. Well, if, I, if God isn't going to answer this prayer this way in this time, then I don't want anything to do with him. He can't be real. He can't be the thing that I pursue. He can't be the thing that uh, I give my life to if I can't have this thing. For Moses, God was always the promise. God was always the promise. I think the, just a little levity. If you could go to the next next slide. 
I, I think this is this can sum up sum up um, a little bit of our uh, our faith. This, if you don't remember, this is this is going back in time a little bit. This is Pedro from Napoleon Dynamite, and um, he is running for student class president, and his campaign stump speech now famous, is that vote for me and all your wildest dreams will come true. Vote for me and all your wildest dreams will come true. That pretty well sums up American Christianity in a lot of ways. Follow me, give in this offering, and all your wildest dreams will come true. Send in your, your donation, and all your wildest dreams will come true. Say yes to this prayer. Raise your hand, and all of your wildest dreams will come true. But what if they don't? I think one of the overarching themes of both the Old Testament and the New Testament is a sense that the people of God who had deep relationship with God. I think back to the book of Daniel with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were, they, they were threatened to be thrown into the fiery furnace. This is a often told uh, children's Bible story, which if you think about it is horrific. Throwing people in a fiery furnace is a very gruesome way to die. But the, the three, the, and they weren't children. That I don't know where we get that from. The three children were thrown in. That is even worse. You're right. You're right. But, but their response is incredible. Their response is, our God will rescue us. But even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, we will not bow. Moses is obedient to the very end, follows in intimacy and relationship and pursues God, sees God's glory. is shown the promised land. And then who buries him? God does. I have five ways that we can take in our prayer to step out of transactional faith. Faith that says, I'll do this if you give me this. I'll exchange this for this. I mean, just... Just be honest. You don't have to say anything out loud, but just think about your prayers. What do they look like? How many of them are like, God, will you do this? God, will you take care of this? Not that God doesn't care about your needs. Not that God doesn't want to hear about your needs. But he also wants you to know him. So number one, Focus on God himself rather than what you want from him. Make your main goal while praying to simply enjoy time with God. 
one one way you can do this is the I don't know if you remember a couple of weeks ago when we talked um, about being present in prayer is the Yahweh prayer, which is breathing, just like stop. Put your to-do list out of your mind, all of your tasks, and breathe. are so uncomfortable with silence. Focus on God rather than what you want from him. Number two, I think this is, this is what Moses knew. Moses knew this. Discover just how close God really is to you. John 14, 17 says, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit lives with you and will be in you. And in verse 20, he goes on and Jesus explains that I am in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. That's about as close as you possibly can be. Deuteronomy 31, 8 says, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Number three, pray through each day in different situations. In, in different, different spaces and different situations. Just, just talk to God. Have you considered that? Like, Driving down the road rather than cussing at the other drivers? Talk to God. What do you want to say to me today, God? What do you want me to know? What do I need to hear from you today? How can I know you? How can your presence be the promise? Number four. For some of us, this will be easier than others. But get your emotions involved. The reality is is that emotions are involved in relationship. Right? Like, you feel things about the people that you're close to. Sometimes you feel happy. Sometimes you feel angry. Sometimes, you, I'm not going to list all of the emotions. If you don't know what they all are, we'll work that out later. <laughs> Get your emotions involved. Talk to God about how you feel about what's going on in your life. Not just God fix this. God, this makes me really upset. God, I'm really disappointed right now. I'm hurt. I'm broken. I feel so empty. The other thing is that 
I, one of the things that we don't do often enough is to consider how God feels about us. Have you thought about that recently? How does God feel about you? Let me just tell you, if you're wondering, if, you're, if you don't know, God is crazy about you. He's head over his heels in love with you. He delights in you. Scripture says that God sings over us. Is that how you imagined God reacting to you? When you woke up this morning, if you were to imagine what God's response to you, when you first woke up this morning, Did you imagine delight? Or did you imagine, oh, you. And then the last one. Expect the unexpected. James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. Reality is that God wants to give. God wants to bring into your life. God wants to restore and heal and, and, and answer your prayers. He does. Question I have is, what are you here for? Are you here for what you can get? Have you learned to shake God's hand like this? We're going to go ahead and move into a time of communion. I could have some people help with the the elements are here, pass them out. So a lot of times when we do communion, we read from 1 Corinthians or one of the Gospels where Jesus is actually doing the initial communion. This morning we're going to read a little bit of a different passage. It's from the book of John, starting in chapter 6, verse 25 says, when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, where did, how, when did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, 
but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Jumping down to verse 48, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here's the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. I think it's interesting. The very beginning of this passage, Jesus calls his disciples out. You're just here for the food. You're just here because of what I offer you. But do you really want me? Am I what you're looking for? Am I what you're desiring? Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the thing that you're longing for, the thing that your heart is longing for. Can you go ahead and play that song? My question for you this this morning. So what do you do and how do you live when it hurts? What do you do and how do you live when things don't work out the way that you want them? Do you run away from God? Do you call it quits? Do you say no? I don't need this. I don't want this. Or do you lean in? Are the words on your lips praise and blessing? Like Moses. So this is what we're going to do for communion. I'm just going to give you a few minutes to sit with it. I don't, I can't think of a, a, a better spiritual thing to do when wrestling with this tension than hold the bread and the wine. Why are you here?
Lord, we Lord, we invite your presence, your real presence here in this space. We acknowledge you are here. We make ourselves present to you. We want to hear your voice. God, I confess that I often have a transactional faith. I often operate in a way that is, if you do this, then I'll do this. God, I ask you to forgive me for my if-then faith. God, I desire to know you. God, I pray that you this morning would make yourself known like you did on with the, the men on the road to Emmaus breaking of bread. But I pray that this morning that you would bless the bread.
Lord, I thank you that your blood offers us new life. A new life with relationships and love and community in you. Lord, we thank you that in your blood we're able to be new. New life. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you offer us your presence, and your spirit, and your love. God, I pray that for us, that we would learn to be t- dependent on your presence, on your spirit. That we would l- learn to be dependent on our relationship with you. That we wouldn't walk just with our hands out, Lord, but with our hands up in acknowledgement of our our need of our Father. And like Moses, God, I pray that you would be our promise. In Jesus' name we pray.